The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Um, yeah, like Gerard said, we are in our rest series at the moment. We, we've been uh, we're in this series called Rest, and the big idea behind it is really to look at the current pace of our lives, look at how we're living, and, and then go to the Bible and say, is this how God wants us to live? We began this series last week. We, we looked at Genesis chapter 2, where, we, where God creates the, the entire universe, and then on the seventh day, he rests. And then after that, we, we read in Hebrews 4 that we are invited as Christians, we are invited to enter into God's rest. God is at rest, and he wants us to join with him. Imagine some very important person going on a vacation, going on a holiday somewhere, and saying to you, do you want to come with me? That's the rest we're invited into, into into God's rest. What makes a gift great? Today is, of course, Mother's Day, and uh, one of the things about Mother's Day for us in our household is that when it comes to, normally when it comes to presents for Kirsty, I would buy the presents and then the kids would give those presents to Kirsty. However, on Mother's Day, what we do is we give, uh, I just give the kids some dollars, some bucks, and they, they go to school, and they have a Mother's Day stall at the school, and the kids can basically buy whatever they want, within reason, obviously, um, from this Mother's Day stall for Kirsty. And no matter what it is, Kirsty absolutely loves these presents because they are thought out because she can imagine the kids going and looking at this table and thinking oh mum would love this or I'd love to get this for mum and there's something about a gift when it's really thought through when there's when a deep amount of thought has been put into it that it just makes it really really special she loves the cards she loves the little keyrings that were made um, on all the other things that she was given as well For some people, a gift is special or a gift is great because of the thought that has been put into it. For others, a a gift is made great because of how practical that gift is. It's a real big help, like, oh, I really could use one of these. This is going to make my life easier. For others, a a gift is great when they know a, a great sacrifice has been made to get that. They know how much that costs. It's not just that they're fussy, that they just they appreciate the sacrifice that has been made. And I think if we were to look at God's word and, and, and ask, aside from the gift of Jesus Christ, which is absolutely the greatest gift that we've ever received, aside from Jesus Christ, one is, what is one of the most wonderful gifts that God has blessed us with? And I think we would struggle to really... Name many things that are more wonderful, that are a more wonderful gift for us than the Sabbath. God gives us a Sabbath. This is, what, this, is uh, this day of rest. A lot of thought has been put into it. It's incredibly practical. 
And I think we could make the case that it was incredibly costly to God as well to give us this Sabbath. But very often, we don't think of the Sabbath as being a gift. Very often, we think of the Sabbath as being more like a command. And the question that often comes up is, do we have to keep the Sabbath now? Must we keep the Sabbath? Must we take a day off once a week where we do nothing? Now, just so you know, where I land on that particular question, I personally don't believe that observing the Sabbath is something that is mandatory for Christians in the sense that you are sinning if you don't take the Sabbath. I don't believe it's a salvation issue. Just so you know, though, there are plenty of Christians, solid, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christians who would disagree with me on that, and that's fine. That's, it's, not a, it's not an issue. We can, we can be in the same, we can still be brothers and sisters on that. Uh, I, I think we can make the case, though, particularly from what Paul says in Romans and Colossians, that this is something that has now been fulfilled in Christ. But that being said, I really want to exercise caution about saying that. Because if the only question we ask is, do we have to keep it? Then I think we're bound to miss out on something really, really wonderful. You see, if the Sabbath is a command that we must hold to or else, then we're going to miss out on something beautiful. But if the Sabbath is, a, is something that we can go, oh, we can just forget about that, don't worry about that, that was kind of for the Old Testament, Jesus fulfilled it, don't worry about it, it's all good, it's, don't stress, don't, don't even think about it. I think then we're also going to miss out on something beautiful and wonderful. I think we've lost the point there. We must take what the Bible gives to us when it comes to the Sabbath, which is as a precious and wonderful gift that is given to us. Imagine a small child on Christmas Day looking at all the presents under the tree. Their name is on every single present. It's loaded up. Can you imagine that child saying, do I have to open them? Do I have to have these presents? Like, that's just the wrong question, isn't it? That's not, you'd never expect a child to ask that. And the same thing goes for the Sabbath. It's this gift that we shouldn't be, we shouldn't ask, do we have to? But rather, do we get to? Do we get to receive this Sabbath? You see, the Bible makes a case, I believe, that the Sabbath is this incredible gift from God, a gift for our flourishing, a gift for, for our lives, a gift for the growth of our faith. And to get a real sense of the importance of the Sabbath for us, we, we need to begin in the Old Testament. And so uh, just walking quite briefly through what the Old Testament says to lead us up to our passage for today, uh, we, we, we can begin in Genesis 2, which we looked at last week, where God created the whole universe and then rested on the seventh day. We touched on that last week, and then we can fast forward, and the, the, the next time that we really hear much in detail about the Sabbath comes in the book of Exodus, and it's just a few days after the Israelites have crossed the Red Sea, and they're in the desert, and God provides quail and manna for them in the desert. Manna is this substance that is kind of on the ground, and they can collect it. It's kind of like a bit of a wafer type thing. It's honey, it's sweet, and got seeds in it. I kind of think about it as those sesame snaps, 
You know, sesame snaps you get in, in primary school and tuck shop? That's always what I think of when it comes to manna. And I'm just like, man, that sounds amazing. Just walking out and sesame snaps all over the ground. Sounds fantastic. So God provided for them um, sesame snaps on the manna, uh, uh, manna on the ground. And uh, he instructs them to go out and collect enough for each person for one day, each day of the week, except on the sixth day, to collect double the amount so that they could have it on the sixth day and on the seventh day without having to collect it on the seventh day. And there's all sorts of meaning and symbolism in that. It's, it's God providing for them and, and them are collecting for themselves. They're, they're, no, they're no longer slaves. They can, they can harvest this food for themselves, not for somebody else. The daily collection, the daily, daily harvesting of this manna, it was a symbol of, hey, we've got to rely daily on God for our food, for, for everything. And then the fact that they are required to collect enough for two days on the, on the sixth day was to, to stop and to rest and to enjoy God's provision on the seventh day without having to go out and do that. And that would have been a really radical thing for the Israelites who have just had 400 years of slavery. Their parents, their parents' parents, their parents' parents' parents were slaves. Never getting a day off. Any harvest they took in was for somebody else. They got the dregs. Living under slavery. And God comes along and says, collect for yourselves and take a day off once a week, to just enjoy the fact that I am giving this to you. And as you read through Exodus, you can, you can understand that they've got a real problem obeying this because they, they feel like they've got to collect more and then they collect, they go out on the seventh day and God gets cranky with them. He wants to rest. He wants them to rest. Fast forward again, this time just three months and we come to Moses giving the, the ten, God giving the Ten Commandments to Moses. And of course, the fourth commandment is to remember the Sabbath. And it's really important that we, take, take, we recognize, this is in Exodus 20, we recognize the, the foundation or the basis for taking the Sabbath. God says, take the Sabbath because on the seventh day I rested, so I want you to rest as well. Take the Sabbath off. Take, take, take a day off once per week to point to God as the source of our being, as our creator. And then if you look uh, a, a bit further on in Exodus 31, that command is reiterated, and, and it's set within the context of building the temple. God gives them instructions on how to, how to build the temple, and right in the middle of it, he says, you've got to take the Sabbath. It's set in the context of the worship at the temple. In the same way that they were to carve out a space in their midst, carve out uh, an area in their physical space for the worship of God, they were also to carve out space and time in their week to worship God. That's what the Sabbath was about. Fast forward again, we get 40 years later, just before the Israelites are about to enter the land of Canaan. Moses is there and he's giving them his final sermon, his final speech before he sends them in. And he again reiterates in Deuteronomy 5 to take the Sabbath. But this time he gives a different basis for it. It's not just because that's what God did, but also because God is the God who rescued them from slavery in Egypt. Reading from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, it says... Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. 
That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. In other words, God has rescued you from what once enslaved you. So take a day off. Enjoy it. Enjoy your salvation. Take a day to rest and enjoy God's salvation. Putting this all together, the Sabbath was this day for them to stop and pause and remember they're no longer slaves anymore. They're no longer part of the big machine of Egypt, which was all-consuming. You have to work. You have to keep working. You can't have a day off. It was a way of resisting the message of the world that life is all about work. Life is all about consuming stuff. Life is all about stuff and having more, and therefore we need to work more. And the Sabbath was a way of resisting that to say, I actually don't need to work anymore. I need to stop, and I need to remember my God who saved me. I need to take some time out to realign myself with him. The Sabbath was about suffocating that line that we need to have more, that we need to achieve more, that we need to impress other people more. The Sabbath was a way of saying enough is enough and taking a break. Now, fast forward again. This time to the book of Nehemiah. Israelites have been taken into exile because of their, their disobedience and their unfaithfulness to God, part of which was breaking the Sabbath. They actually profaned the Lord's Sabbath. And then they're brought back to Israel and they're confronted with their sin. They're confronted with the laws that they broke. And so they make a vow to not break the Sabbath again, that on the seventh day, as a community, as a nation, they are going to uphold, they are going to observe the Sabbath day. But it's not long before they start buying grain and start trading again with the outsiders on the Sabbath day. They forget. There's just too much to be gained. Too much money to be made on the Sabbath. All these other people are trading, and we, we might as well trade with them. And so Nehemiah, he actually comes along to the Israelites and, and, he, and he chastises them for breaking the Sabbath. And that really becomes the beginning of this period of time where, where groups of people started really taking the, started becoming very zealous for God's law. This is where we get groups like the Pharisees and the scribes. And really what the, they were zealous to, to keep God's law because they didn't want to incur God's judgment again. And so what they did was instead of just upholding God's law, they created these other laws, these other stipulations added to the law of God, kind of to create these fences around God's law so that nobody could even get close to breaking God's law, getting really fastidious, really picky with with certain things, particularly around the Sabbath, really drilling down. What does it mean to work? How far can you walk? How much can you do of this? How much can you do of that? And really battening down the hatches. And ultimately, they got more concerned about God's law than the God who gave the law. This happened with the Sabbath, and this sets the stage for our passage this morning. Jesus is just beginning his ministry, and at the very start of the book of Mark, and he's having a bit of interaction with these Pharisees. He's gaining a bit of profile around the area of Galilee. People are taking notice of who Jesus is, and particularly they are comparing Jesus to the scribes and the Pharisees. They're comparing Jesus' teaching to the teaching of the scribes. They're comparing Jesus' practices with his disciples to the teachings and the practices of the disciples of the Pharisees. 
And so the Pharisees, they start to take notice. They want to know who this Jesus is, and they start to come and ask some questions. And then we get to hear in Mark chapter 2, verse 23, on a Sabbath day, and things get pretty contentious. So, reading from verse 23 again. On the Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to make their way, picking some of the heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, they weren't really referring to God's law then, but rather to the extra stipulations that they had created to ensure that no one would break God's commands. And by doing so, they were reducing the law to what Kent Hughes describes as the domestication of real faith into humanly attainable standards. I love that line. (laughs) The domestication of real faith into humanly attainable standards. In other words, they were using God's law to try and control God's actions, to try and control God's response by their obedience to God's law. Like, do God's law, obey God's law, and he will stay off your back. He will stay in his lane. Just get him. We, we, just want him, we don't want him to come and judge us, so just do what you can and keep him off our backs. Now, Jesus' reply is incredibly important. He said to them in verse 25, Have you never read... What David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry. How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the, Pharisees, except the priests, and also gave some to his companions. Now, Jesus is referring there to a time when King David and his companions entered the temple. They were on the run from Saul. Saul, King Saul was trying to kill David, and they were starving, they were famished, and they came into the temple, and they ate the bread of the presence that was reserved for the priests alone to eat. And Jesus is using the story there, he's using King David there, as a precedent to illustrate that human need is more important to God than ceremony. He's not obliterating the law. He's not saying, hey, look, David broke God's law, so I can break it too. He's saying, you guys have missed the point of the law entirely. You've made the law an end in and of itself. And that's exactly the meaning of what Jesus says next in verse 27. He told them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And that there is critical for, for Jesus' and also our understanding of the Sabbath. The Sabbath isn't meant to be a burden, but a burden lifter. It isn't meant to be something that would crush us into obedience, but rather it's a gift for mankind, a means and a space and a time to enter God's presence and be refreshed by Him. It was to be an oasis in the desert, a green pasture in the midst of stress, it was meant to be, a, it was to be a means of resting and resisting what the world tells us is most important and instead listening to God and remembering what God tells us is most important, recalibrating our lives around him. If all we hear about the Sabbath is a command that we have to obey, then we're missing out on what God has given us. And again, if we think of the Sabbath as something we can ignore, we're missing out on what God has given us. It's a, it's a gift. It's a gift that is precious. It's thought out. It's practical. And it's costly. 
You see, we get bombarded all of the time with the lines that we need more stuff. Boil down any advertisement in our calls right now, and it's this. Your life is incomplete, so buy our product. We need more stuff. Not only that, we need people's approval. You need people to like you. You need to work harder to earn more money to prove yourself. You need to have more money. You need to achieve more than those around you. You need to be having a better life than those around you. We are compared over and over and over again to people around us. We compare ourselves to people around us. You need to have the perfect body. You need to have the perfect house, the perfect lifestyle, the perfect husband or the perfect wife, the perfect kids, the perfect everything, and you are nothing unless you have those things. And the Sabbath comes along and says, Enough. Enough. The Sabbath is a means of resisting the lies of the world. Resisting the lies that we tell ourselves. Resisting the lies that we believe. To circuit breaker to all of that. To say, enough. It's time to stop. The Sabbath is stopping all of those lies ceasing the work that we put in to try and prove ourselves and to be satisfied in God, to remember that he has saved us by his grace in Jesus Christ and to enjoy our salvation in him, knowing full well that that is the most important thing about us. It's a gift. It's a, it's a blessing to enjoy and to be refreshed by, revived by, reformed by, reshaped by, and renewed by. It's an interruption to our busy schedules. It's a circuit breaker in our fast-paced lives. It's given to us to dis- disrupt the noise and to say, God is for you. It's a way of hopping off the world's treadmill and and stop trying to be productive and to work, but to rest in God, knowing that he loves you. He approves you. He cares for you. He is caring for you right now, and he will continue to care for you. He has got you. He is sovereign. He He has got all things under his control. He is God, and we are not. We should embrace that. Embrace him as God and embrace ourselves as not God. He loves us. He delights in us. We don't have to do anything to make him love us more, and we can't do anything to make him love us less. We can rest in him, knowing full well that he has got this. Whatever you've got going on in your life right now, whatever stresses have come up this week or this month, whether it's family stuff, sickness and health stuff, employment stuff, house stuff, relationship stuff, work stuff, whatever it is, the Sabbath is about stopping and going, God's got this under control. This is why it was so important for Jesus to reinstate the true meaning of the Sabbath. And he does so with this next phrase. Verse 28, he says, So then the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He's saying, I'm the one with the authority to reinstitute the correct understanding of the Sabbath, which is that God is the infinite source of joy and rest and peace. And he wants us to partake of him 
to, to come to him, to enjoy him, and to come to that place of peace in him because that's what brings him glory. What would it mean for you to turn the phone off once a week for a few hours, six hours, 12 hours? What would it look like to close the laptop and not check emails, like turn notifications off for a while? What would it look like to, to stop checking Instagram for a day? What would it look like in your life to, to whenever the thought of work comes up on one particular day per week, every time that thought of work comes in, you don't start thinking, you don't go down the rabbit hole of all the things you do, but actually you stop for a moment and go, hey God, you've called me to rest. That's yesterday's problem. And tomorrow's problem. But today I'm going to rest. So God, take that off me. Help me dwell on your grace first. What does it look like in your life to resist the lies that you've been told? Resist the lies that you've been told that you need to do whatever to have any kind of meaning in life. That's what the Sabbath is. It's a moment to stop and recalibrate our lives around Jesus. Around Jesus, as if he's the center. Now, just as we think that Jesus has made his point, he's about to raise the stakes. We get to Mark chapter 3. You see, previously we were talking about something very important, snacks. That's important. We need to, we need to be, fill ourselves up. I love snacks. It's good. But Jesus is about to make this a bit more of... The, the rubber's about to hit the road pretty heavily. Because instead of talking about snacks for his disciples, he's going to start talking about life and death. It's a really similar situation. Jesus doing something on the Sabbath that was not permitted according to the added regulations of the Sabbath, and yet he does so. Not because he's breaking God's law or because it's only something minor, but because he's wanting to reveal the true nature of God. So let me just read this to you again. Mark chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a shriveled hand. In order to accuse him, they were watching him closely. That's the Pharisees. They were watching him closely to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. He told the man with a shriveled hand, stand before us. That's important. Then he said to them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. After looking around at them with anger, he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts and told the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Immediately, the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him how they might kill him. A couple of things that I think we should pay attention to there. Firstly, the Pharisees were watching him closely. They didn't care about the man with the shriveled hand. They were watching Jesus. They had all eyes on Jesus. And secondly, Jesus doesn't conceal what he's doing. He says to the man, stand in front of us. 
Like they're watching him closely and he wants them to see what he's about to do. It's very, very important. So he says to them, is it, ask them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Now that's a really interesting question because this man's life wasn't actually in danger. A shriveled hand wasn't a, matter of, wasn't a matter of life and death. So why does Jesus talk here about taking life or giving life, killing or, or, or saving life, when he's not really doing either of those things here? He wasn't about to save this man's life. The answer is that this question that he asks them isn't actually directed at what he's about to do for this man, but what they're about to do to Jesus. You see, Jesus is about to do good, and they're about to do evil. The Pharisees hear this question, but they're silent. They don't care about the man. They only care about their law, and that made their hearts hard. So hard, in fact, that if Jesus violates their law, he's a threat, and they've got to destroy him. They've got to kill him. And Jesus knows this. He knows this. He knows that what he does next is actually either going to save his own life or lead him to being killed. This isn't any old healing. This has a cost to it. It's the ultimate cost. It will cost Jesus his life. What he does next is important. So what does he do? He told the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was restored. And look what happens next. Immediately, the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him how they might kill him. The ESV says how they might destroy him. This was too much. They wanted him gone completely, and so they set to work immediately, stopping at nothing to bring Jesus to an end, even teaming up with the Herodians, who were their enemies. The Pharisees and the Herodians do not like each other. They hate each other. They, they each think the other person is the problem. But they team up, they side together to destroy Jesus. Now, before we start shaking our heads at these silly Pharisees, We've got to look inwards and we've got to hear that that same heart lurks deep inside each one of us. Deep down in our hearts, we long to be justified. We want to know that our life means something and we believe that it is up to us to do that. If you go to your work, if you go to your employment for justification, you will always have to put in the extra hours. You'll be the one burning the midnight oil. You'll be the one who's working on Saturdays and Sundays. You will never be able to stop working. If, if, uh, if your study, if getting good grades is your justification, then you'll never be able to stop studying. You'll always have to strive for more and more. You'll never be able to stop and rest. You'll never be able to stop studying because there's always more to be done. If your justification in your life, is, if, if the thing that makes you feel like your life has meaning is your stuff, it's your house, it's your bank account, it's your, it's your car, it's all the material things you own, then it will never be enough and you will always be insanely jealous of anybody who has more than you. You'll never have enough money. 
you'll feel like you always need to keep working. If approval is your justification, if you need people to like you and love you and think you're great, and that's how you know that your life means something, then it will never be enough. You will always be posting something. You'll always be checking a thousand times a day to see who else has liked it. And if, not, if that's not it, you'll, be, you'll, be, you'll hang on every single bit of feedback you ever get and you'll be crushed, you'll be destroyed by any kind of negative feedback. And that will make our hearts hard. It will never let us rest until we get what we think we're after. We'll be restless until we get that thing. And should we ever actually receive it? Should we ever actually get it? We'll be restless until we get more. That thing, the Bible calls it idolatry, it will demand more from us. More and more. It will never be satisfied. It will demand that we sacrifice our time. It will demand that we sacrifice our energy, our health, and our relationships, and we will be restless until we get that thing. And then the rest giver comes along and says, Enough. You're important to me. And I love you. And I want to give you complete and deep rest from the lives of the world, even if that means it costs me my life. Come to me and I will give you rest. How does Jesus give us rest? He does so by going to the cross. This is why he healed this man so publicly. He was ensuring that it would lead to his death on the cross. And by doing so, he would ensure that all who trusted him would be able to enter God's rest. When he says, is it, good to, is it permitted to do evil, to do good, to, to, to save life or to kill? He's talking about the fact that he's going to be killed, and in doing so, he's going to save lives. And we can only rest when we know that we've been justified by Jesus Christ because it's then that we know that we've got nothing left to prove. The perfect God of the universe who has the highest standards has accepted me, has accepted you. Not because we've made it, but because Jesus has made it on our behalf. So many people think that Christianity is all about God going around congratulating good people for being good. That's not the case. Christianity is God saving bad people, saving sinners from their sin and inviting them into his presence, into his rest, into a relationship with him. Christianity is God justifying bad people, justifying sinners by his death on the cross. For us as sinners, our rest comes from the fact that God has accepted us and has made more of us than we can ever make of ourselves. God has made us into his children. God has given us a room in his house. God has written our names in his will. And there is nothing that you can do, there is nothing that I can do that can ever achieve those things. Being part of God's family, being one of the people of God, being a child of God, that is worth more than the world and you can do nothing to get it by your own merit, by your own strength, by, by anything that you can do, but it is the free gift of Jesus Christ to you to receive because that brings glory to God. 
God is glorified in us when we come to him and say, yes, I want that to be my, my justification. I want, I want what Jesus did on the cross to be my life, to be the most important thing in my life, to mean more in my life than anything else in the world. And by that, God is glorified. And we can rest in him. We can rest in God because he's justified us. That deep need to be justified, to feel like our life has any kind of meaning, that our life has a purpose. That, that, mean, that, that, that feeling comes from, from the fact that we know that we're not, we don't have peace with God. We're looking for something to patch that up and nothing will except for Jesus Christ. And it's the free gift of grace. Jesus comes and he, they take his life. He, he gives up his life. He dies for us. And in dying for us, he absorbed our sin. He absorbed the, the wrath of God against our sin. That is now gone. It, it no longer counts against you. If you are here and you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, then your sin is no longer counted against you. Isn't that flipping good news? And if you want to find rest in God, if you want to find deep rest, go on the pursuit of finding out where else in your life you haven't actually surrendered to God. What, what is the stuff that God has died for? Look at your sin and then look at Jesus as he takes your sin. And your life will be filled with joy as you continue to reflect on and meditate upon and think about the precious gift of Jesus Christ to make you righteous before God, to reconcile you together with God. And by his resurrection, he killed death. That's what we sang this morning. Death is dead and Christ is risen. It was finished upon that cross. That's what this is all about, that we don't have to fear death. Jesus Christ has solved our biggest problem. So what do we do with that now? Like, What do we do with that this week? as we think about this idea of a Sabbath, a 24-hour moment in our week to resist the lies of the world, what would it look like in your life to receive that gift? Well, like I said before, it might look like turning the phone off for a day. And that might seem like a pretty impossible thing to do. I get it. It might be just not checking emails for a day. It might mean not turning on the TV for a day. It probably does mean that, actually. It might mean getting off the couch and getting into nature, going for a walk, going for a stroll, just getting outside and, and looking at the stars, even. Most importantly, it looks like going to God in prayer, to his word, and worshiping him join him thinking about meditating on reading in God's word about filling your life with the gospel filling your heart with the gospel so that it erupts with praise and, and, and drinking deep from that now some of us here are thinking and I, I know you're thinking this you have no idea what my life is like 
you have no idea how costly that will be to do that for a full 24 hours, to take a whole day off and not, not think about work or I can't turn my phone off for 24 hours. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't, know, you don't know the kind of week I have. You don't know what my boss is like. You don't know what it's like to run this business. You don't, what, you don't know what it's like to, to be in my position. And you're right. I don't know that. But it doesn't matter that I don't know that's, that that's the case for you. That doesn't matter. What matters is that God is offering you this gift. And I want you to consider what it might look like to start unwrapping that a little bit. Just to peel one corner up. It might mean turning your phone off for three hours. Hey, here's a thought. Charging it in another room. So when you wake up tomorrow morning, the first thing you reach for is not your phone. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, but I need that for my alarm clock. Alarm clocks are $7 at Kmart. If you can't afford that, I'll buy you an alarm clock. Come and see me. We'll work it out. What does it look like? Just for a few hours. Just See, I'm not saying... It's, think of it the way that a marathon, someone training for a marathon would do this. You don't just go one, wake up one day going, I'll do a marathon today and go and do that. You'll die. But start training. Do something. Pick a day where you just do something different, where you go, I'm going to stop this need to. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to buy anything on this day. I'm going to stay off whatever advertising site, whatever. I'm not, I'm not going to go to Anaconda for a day. I'm not going to go to Bunnings for a day and just not buy something for a day. That might mean what it looks like, be what it looks like for you in your life. But resisting the lies of the world that says you need more, you need to work harder, you need to earn that person's approval, you need to you need to measure up to some kind of standard. You need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. God is offering you the gift of rest and saying, "Hey, come and find your rest in me. Enough is enough." I am enough for you. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC. 